Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Here ends the second reading. Good morning, and uh, please do have a seat. And uh, if you're here through an invitation, can I say thanks very much for coming. Uh, This is one of a series of events that we're running for people just to look into Christianity, give it a first or second thought. And as Ken said, the overall title has been One Life, What's It All About? And uh, he asked you at the beginning uh, what you might say to that. And I wonder what you might say to that. What is the point? Why are we here? Uh, Some of us, Ken included, went uh, questionnaireing in the city centre and we asked people that question. And uh, one guy said, well, uh, we're just here to carry on the human race, which is quite a basic biological kind of answer. Uh, Next guy, very world-weary looking guy, he said, well, sometimes I get up and uh, I just feel I'm only here to pay the bills. And then we go around the corner, we bump into this giggling gang of teenage girls. They said, well, it's all about having fun. You know, and it made you think, yeah, that's because you've still got someone paying the bills for you. And that was probably your dad I was talking to (laughs) around the corner. Um, What surprised me was how many people said, I have no idea. So what is it all about? What I want us to do this morning is to hear Jesus answer. It's the answer he gave to someone he knew had got it completely wrong. And you'll find it on page three of your service sheet if you'd like to uh, turn to that and uh, follow along that reading we had from Luke's Gospel. So it's on the top of page three of the uh, service sheet. That's just an extract from one of the accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So let me run past you the beginning of it again. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So he's coming to shared money and he wants his half. And maybe, you know, up until now, his life just hadn't really amounted to anything. But he's thinking, if only I can get that money, life will finally begin. And I think that's one way of getting in touch with what you do think life is all about. Ask yourself, what's my if only? Okay, if only, fill in the blank, life will really begin. If only I can settle down with a partner and have a family. If only uh, I can fulfill my dream to be this or, or do that. I wonder what is your 
if only, or what was your if only? Well, here's what Jesus said to this bloke, and it's the Bible verse that proves that Jesus was a Geordie. Verse 14, but Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. I looked it up, the average national lottery millionaire has bought two homes, six new cars, average price £46,000, and now takes holidays in the Caribbean. And Jesus says that is not what life is all about. And then he tells one of these parables of his, which are like mirrors, and he holds them up and he says, can you see yourself at all in this? So let me run it past you. Verse 16, he told them a parable saying, the land of this rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. And, and in the eyes of our culture, he's arrived, hasn't he? He's got the three big L's, lolly, leisure, luxury, and if you can find a bit of love along the way, haven't you got everything that life is all about? Jesus said no, because here's the punchline, verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. In other words, you're going to die and face me. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God, who thinks life is all about me and doesn't give God a thought, as Alan was saying. And before you get offended, let me say uh, that Bible word fool, it doesn't mean stupid or unintelligent. God is not insulting him. In the Bible, that word fool means the person who has completely misjudged things. I don't know whether uh, you remember that TV program, Game for a Laugh. It was uh, brilliant television where they would set people up with hidden cameras and then uh, Jeremy Beadle, the presenter, would uh, appear from nowhere with a microphone. And my personal favorite was the modern art exhibition where they went to this primary school in Hackney and they got the kids to spend the whole morning creating these uh, modern works of art. So a couple of them just splatted this canvas like a Jackson Pollock. Another had this canvas on the playground and they painted up their BMX bike wheels, one green, one red, and then just crisscrossed this canvas until it was completely covered. So now you cut to this top London gallery which ITV had uh, hired and uh, it was this exhibition of uh, modern masters. And they invited all of the art critics, top art critics were there. There were all these pieces superbly transformed with frames and so on. There was the BMX piece, uh, crisscrossing red and, red and green, and the title was Strawberries. And the art critic of the time standing there with his glass of wine saying, it's so authentic, you can smell the fruit. <laughs> and out pops Jeremy Beadle with his microphone. It was brilliant television. You could see this guy's career flashing before his eyes <laughs> as uh, he realized he's totally misjudged things. This guy in the parable had totally misjudged life and Jesus says he made two mistakes which anyone here can make. The first is this. He lived as if there was no God. 
So he never stopped to think, you know, is there actually someone out there who's given me everything good that I have? He just put it down to luck or being smart or working hard. And he never stopped to think, is conscience actually a sixth sense telling me I'm accountable to that someone out there for how I live? He, he just assumed that he could decide for himself how to use his money or anything else, his time, his abilities, how to use sex, all the, all the rest of life. And that's what our culture tells us to do, isn't it? Uh, remember the bus, uh, the atheist bus campaign of a few years ago, those big ads saying, there is probably no God. Now stop worrying and enjoy life. Very telltale, the probably. But actually, we can know that God is really there because 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to be here on the planet in the person of Jesus. There is no doubt, it's beyond reasonable doubt, that Jesus claimed to be God, the Son of God, become human. But obviously you don't believe people just because they claim something. I don't know whether you've heard of the, uh, the French painter Gustave Doré, uh, 19th century painter, and uh, he was traveling through Europe one time and he'd lost his passport. So he said at the next uh, border checkpoint, he said, I, I haven't got my passport, but I'm Gustave Doré you know, expecting everyone to know him, famous painter. And the official said, we hear all sorts of claims like that. And uh, Doré said, but I am. At which the official passed him a piece of paper and a pencil. And he said, then draw me something to prove it. And uh, lightning sketch, trademark signature, and they let him through. So uh, leaky European border control is absolutely nothing new. <laughs> um, and in the same way, Jesus didn't just claim to be God. He gave evidence to prove it. Uh, you may have heard some of these things before, but let me run them past you. One time, he was crossing the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. And this storm hits and threatens to sink them. And Jesus gets up and it says, he told it, peace, be still. And back in chapter 8, uh, Luke says, the wind and the waves died down and there was complete calm. And the disciples said to one another, who is this that commands even the wind and the waves and they obey him? Then there are the healings, like the paralyzed people that he put back on their feet, the, the blind people that he made see again. And there are the people that he even brought back from death, like the 12-year-old sick girl whose father sent for Jesus to come and help her and then came out in person to tell Jesus it's too late. And Luke says this, when Jesus came to the house, he said, she's not dead, but sleeping. And taking her by the hand, he said, my child, get up. And her spirit returned and she got up. So instant response. It was easier for Jesus to bring her back from the dead than for me to get my kids up for school. And then finally, there's his own resurrection. Three o'clock on Good Friday afternoon, he's just died on the cross. First thing on Easter Sunday morning, his tomb is empty. People are seeing him alive again, bodily risen from the dead. What do you make of that? What I make of it is that we can know that God is really there because he's been here in Jesus. I wonder if you've begun to realize that. Because if so, the next thing to realize is how offensive it is that we have lived here in God's world as if he wasn't there. 
Because the Bible says that is what we've all done. It says consciously or subconsciously, we've all said to God, you know, I don't want you telling me what life's all about and how to live it. I, I want to live it my own way. And I still remember the moment that, that dawned on me. Uh, it was the sinking feeling that I could only remember on one other occasion, which was in a public exam, where I put my pen down with five minutes to go, thinking, great. And then I suddenly turned the paper over, and there was a whole section that I'd missed. Hadn't been asking the right question. That's how I felt where I, I realized, actually, I have lived my whole life so far as if God wasn't there. I haven't given him a single thought. And I realized everything I'd ever done wrong against my conscience, which I thought was just something, you know, inside me, I realized I'd done all that wrong against God, someone outside me. I realized that I was in big trouble. And I wonder if you've realized that. Because if you have, the next and most important thing to realize is that the whole reason God sent his son into this world is to get us out of that trouble and back into relationship with him through his death on the cross. I don't know whether you ever watch uh, a question of sport, but uh, my favorite round is the uh, what happened next round, where they play a clip, freeze the action, what happened next. Uh, the one I remember most was uh, a football one where this striker was uh, through past the defense into the penalty area. It was one-on-one. -on -one. It looked an absolute cert that he'd score. Freeze the frame, what happened next? And so they make all the usual you know, wild guesses, like floodlights go out because of a power cut, uh, striker's contact lens pops out and he misses completely, you know, guide dog breaks loose and steals the ball, all of those sorts of things. What actually happened was this, the goalie went out, got to him, dived at him and brought him down, but in the process he broke his own arm. And so a penalty was obviously given against him, and then the substitute goalie came on and the first thing he had to do was to face the penalty for him. That is a picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross, because living as if God wasn't there, and all the wrong we do as a result, deserves a penalty. It deserves the judgment of God at the end of the day. And we wouldn't want to live in any other universe, would we? If God is there, we, we need him to be a moral God. And the heart of the Christian message is that God doesn't want it to come to that. So the Bible says that it is out of his love that he sent his son into this world and that when Jesus was dying on the cross, he was facing the penalty that all of our wrongdoing deserves so that we can be forgiven and not face it ourselves. So thanks to Jesus, we can know that God is really there and that he wants us back in relationship with him. And that through the cross, he, he can forgive us, whoever we are, whatever we've done, however long we've been holding God at arm's length so far. So for this guy in the parable, mistake number one was he lived as if there was no God. Mistake number two was this, he lived as if there was no judgment. Let me uh, run past you the punchline one last time. Verse 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. To which I think our culture uh, would say, you don't have a soul. Look, you're just a biological machine. And none of that is going to last beyond death. That's the end of you. So Stephen Hawking, the atheist scientist, said, the brain is just a computer which will stop working 
when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people who are afraid of the dark. And with great respect, I want to say it's not. We can actually know that there is life beyond death because Jesus himself rose from the dead. And that is not a fairy story. It's not made up. It's not my or anybody else's wishful thinking. Three o'clock on Good Friday afternoon, he's dead on the cross. First thing on Easter Sunday morning, his tomb is open and people are seeing him alive again, bodily risen from the dead. That means there will be life after death for all of us in this room. And it means that Jesus is now back in heaven, alive and well, and that we will meet him at the end of the day. And Jesus said there will ultimately be just two groups of people. He said on the one hand, there will be those who realized in this life that they've been living in God's world without God. And they've said sorry for that. They've asked forgiveness for that. And they've started life again uh, with God in his rightful place. And Jesus said at the end of the day, they're going to be welcomed into heaven. They're going to be recognized as family, if you like. And on the other hand, there are going to be those who've just carried on living you know, as if God was not there. I don't want you to tell me what life's about and how to live it. And if that goes on unchanged, Jesus said he would have to turn people like that away from the kingdom of heaven. Because he said you can't be part of a kingdom if you won't recognize the king. It just doesn't work like that. But as I say, he doesn't want it to come to that for any of us. That's why he died on the cross for our forgiveness. That's why he's speaking to you through the Bible like this, this morning, and calling you to respond while there's time. So I wonder, where do you stand with God this morning? You don't have to tell anyone else, but I want you to answer that in your mind. Imagine that I was to draw a line that represented where all of us could stand with God this morning in this building. At one end, there would be those people who would say, I know I've been forgiven, and I've started life over again with God in his rightful place. And if that is you, you have the privilege of knowing what life's all about. It's about friendship with God that begins now and lasts through death forever. That's what it's about. But at the other end, uh, there'll be those who'd say, I'm not sure uh, where I stand. I'm not even sure this is true. And if that's you, can I encourage you, for all I'm worth, to keep coming along, finding out, asking your questions, finding answers, and getting to that point where you can be sure and sort this out. You're always welcome to these Sunday services, and we'd... Uh, Love it, love it if you wanted to try our Christianity Explored course. Just continuing the uh, football theme, there is a red card inside your service sheet, and that gives you all the details uh, of that course. It starts in a couple of weeks' time. And um, if you come and try it for one session, and it's not you, you, you haven't signed your life away. You can just try one and see if it's any use to you. But you might be right in the middle of my line, and you're saying, I know this is true, and... I know deep down that this morning and maybe for previous weeks and, and months, God has been calling me to respond to him. And I want to say, well, wouldn't today be a great day to do that? For me, it was the 27th of September, 1981, where I responded to something like this. 
So I'm going to end with a prayer, which will be a way of responding to God properly for the first time. I'm going to read it out before I lead us in prayer, so you can think, you know, would this be appropriate for you? So here's the prayer. Father God, I'm sorry that I've lived in your world as if you weren't there. Thank you for giving your son to die for me so I can be forgiven. Please forgive me and help me live for you from now on. Now, you may be further back and not ready to pray anything like that, uh, or further on, and you don't need to begin relationship with God all over again. But if you want to respond to him like that, you could echo the prayer in your mind as I lead us now. Let's bow our heads and pray. So here's the prayer. Father God, I'm sorry that I've lived in your world as if you weren't there. Thank you for giving your son to die for me so I can be forgiven. Please forgive me and help me to live for you from now on. Amen.